Hey guys, it's Jacqueline Smith and you're listening to Caffeine Problems, Champagne Dreams. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Um, Fair warning, you might hear a lot of nonsense in the background today. (laughs) That would be my children. Don't worry, they have parental supervision. But today was just one of the days when we just needed to get it done. So instead of my nice, normal, quiet recording schedule, it is spring break here. So we are making do with what we have and we're going to do the best that we can. Um, I appreciate your patience. Hopefully they will keep their feral noises to a dull roar, but we'll just have to wait and see. Got a couple of new questions for y'all today, so let's just go ahead and dive right in. First question. This is a little embarrassing, but how do I make friends as an adult? My coworkers are friends, but not great friends, and ever since I had kids, my previous friendships have become a little bit strained. Should I be making other mom friends? How do I meet new people? And in the time of quarantine, I just feel more alone than ever. This is an excellent question. And this is a question that a lot of people actually experience. I've gotten this several times over the years with the different projects that I've done. And the answer is really just kind of boils down to, in a lot of ways, just be brave. When you have a work environment that involves a lot of people, or when you are in school, a lot of the environmental factors that aid in you meeting new people and making friends are taken care of for you. But as an adult, you just have to be a little bit more assertive. First and foremost, take a look at the circle that you already have. Could you be more vulnerable and utilize those relationships more, but you're just afraid to? Something to think about is we always want to be loved as our authentic self, and we want others to feel like they can trust us and like they could be their authentic selves with us. If you don't feel close to someone, but you've never even been a tiny bit vulnerable with them, you have no idea what that other person's capacity is to support you, witness you, and be there for you. So that's kind of my suggestion. Number one, are there people in your circle already that you're just not utilizing because you're afraid of being authentic and real? You don't have to pour out your whole life story to someone. You can start with tiny little bits of things, you know? Try just a tinge of vulnerability, something real that's going on with you, and see what happens. If somebody can't handle your authentic self, then it's not worth all of the small talk over coffee while you're waiting on your kids or your spouse or whatever anyway. The other thing that I want to say is don't solely go for like other mom friends. (laughs) The way that people raise their kids is so complex and involved and you think you're going to do it one way and you end up doing it another way. And so when you come across a mom friend, if they're not as emotionally intelligent as you are, if you differ on your parenting styles, sometimes that can throw a wrench in the whole works. Sometimes it doesn't. But I think the kind of tried and true rule is to just find someone that you can get along with and then you can figure out the kid aspect later. I think we also try and push our kids into friendship with children of someone that we like or we try and push ourselves into friendship with a parent of someone that our kids like and that's just not necessary. (laughs) At the end of the day, you're the one that needs the support. You know, your child making friends is a whole episode in and of itself. That seems to be my catchphrase these days. But you being able to make friends, the kind of people that you need into your life, if it is its own thing. And I don't believe that one of the qualifications needs to be, does this person have children my age? Because that would be easier. Easier how? 
so if you can just build a connection with someone based on are they a good human do they lift up my energy do i feel like i'm able to support them in a good way do we have easy conversation am i comfortable being vulnerable with them or can i see myself earning that trust so that we can be vulnerable with each other things like that are way more important than you know where does this person live how many kids do they have are they married to having other couples to go out with can be fun but it's very rare that you find another couple friend where both members of each couple really like both members of the other couple so stop putting these weird parameters on a friendship that you have as an individual just make sure that it's about you Also understand that there are levels of friendship, right? You don't need necessarily 15 friends that you can tell your deepest, darkest secrets with. If you have just a couple of people, one or two, that you can do that with that are not your partner, I think that's really important. But you don't need 15 of those people. And it's going to be really hard to find that many of those people, right? But you can still have really wonderful, pleasurable, fantastic, connected experiences with people that you just go to the gym with or you just go get coffee with, or you love going on vacation with, but the day-to-day stuff you just can't keep up with in text. We all have those friends that we don't talk to for a while, we don't see, but when we're together, it's like we've never been apart. My friend Savannah is one of those friends for me. I've known her since I was three years old. We can go for ages without talking directly, but when we are together, it's like just old hat. It's fantastic. And neither one of us feels guilty or shames or guilts guilts is a better word the other about not keeping in touch better in the time in between life is happening we don't need the constant check-in and that's beautiful but then i have friends that i talk to every single day i have one friend one of my girlfriends that i just play um games with like not words with friends uh i play like we play battleship and we play darts and cut pong and stuff like that back and forth through text if anybody knows a really great game app to do with friends that's not words with friends please message me because we're getting a little tired of all of the battleship but even if we're not talking i feel connected to her energy through just doing that it's like hey thinking about you made a move in darts and that's helpful to feel connection enjoy the connections that you can't find instead of holding really heavy expectations for the connections that you're not getting because someone in your circle isn't that right fit for that particular type of energy and connection that you're seeking so whether it's someone that i talk to every day like my marco polo friends or my friend that i play games with or someone that i talk to once every four years i have energetic connections with other women every single day And I think it's important to note that none of these women lives within a thousand miles of me. Michelle might, she's in California. But like, I don't see them physically. Is that a bummer? Absolutely. Would I love to hug them an uncomfortable length of time? You bet your ass. But that's just not possible right now. So what I need to take and appreciate is the energetic connections that I get from people. If you're thinking of somebody and you haven't talked to them for a while, text them. You know how amazing it is to get a text out of the blue from somebody just saying that they were thinking about you? It's not creepy. It's not weird. It's not needy. It's kind. You do it without expectation of a full-blown conversation happening after the fact, but it feels good and it's good karma and it'll come back to you, whether, you know, religious affiliation aside, putting good energy out into the world makes good energy come back to you. That's just fucking math as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) don't test me on that things like that and then for you know the friends that you want in real life like in um contact 
as we get back to normalcy someday, there are things like meetups and online interest groups in your city. Usually on Facebook is a great place to find them, especially if you're kind of in my age range of 30-ish, <laughs> knocking on 40-ish. <laughs> but even if you're in your 20s, Facebook groups with interests in your particular area can lead you to friends that you can eventually meet up with. Always be diligent about who you're meeting online. Please don't send me messages about how you met Bob from your local stitch and bitch at Starbucks and magically he was the only one who knew about the meeting. Please, please, please don't do that to me. <laughs> I worry about y'all enough. But you can meet people in a lot of different ways. A lot of ways that I used to to practice interaction when I was in the height of my anxiety and depression after a friend of mine passed away was to go to Starbucks. A very specific personality type works at Starbucks. They are people, people. <laughs> they like to make you fancy drinks and they like to say hi and smile at you. Like that's literally what they do. That's why they're there. So if you struggle to talk to people that you don't know, speaking to your local barista <laughs> while you're there is an excellent way of just kind of warming up your social muscles. Like, hey, how's it going? Or busy today? Or I really like your hair? Or that shirt is super cute? Or be genuine about it as all. Any suggestions or advice that I ever give you, the underlying disclaimer is always going to be be genuine. Be genuine, be genuine, be genuine, be genuine, be genuine. Or nothing that I ever tell you or suggest will ever work for anything ever, 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 ever. You have to be authentic to yourself. If you don't like a girl's hair, don't tell her you love her hair. Ask her how she likes the weather. It really doesn't matter. We spend so much time judging what we think that we're going to say or judging what other people are going to say back to us. Again, these are strangers. We don't know shit about them. But if you're the person being kind and bold and the other person is a D, that's not on you. And the more that you experience people kind of passively being rude, I promise you the less it's going to affect you. And the odds are far greater that you will have a decent exchange with someone while you get a drink and move on with your life. It's just good practice if you have social anxiety to do that kind of thing. Um, so those are my little hacks and tidbits for making friends as an adult. Is it easy? No. Is it entirely possible? Absolutely. We just got to be a little bit creative and be a little bit bold. No one is thinking as much shit about us as we think they are thinking about us. And if they are, they need professional help. Because <laughs> nobody thinks about you as much as you think about you. I've been that girl that goes to the gym and is significantly overweight and is convinced that everyone is staring at her and judging her. While my brother is a bodybuilder that has, during that time in his life, he would always, always, always say... That whenever he saw somebody in the gym trying to change themselves and trying to change their lives, he always had a massive amount of respect for them. Never any judgment. So think about that the next time you're worried if you're being too much or if you should or shouldn't do something. If you're doing it from a place of kindness, I say go for it. Next question. How can I figure out what my goal weight should be? BMI tells me one thing, social media tells me another thing, my family and friends tell me another thing, and I just don't know where my goal weight can be that will actually make me happy with all of these random outside influences telling me what I should want. Excellent question. I always say that, don't I? I always say they're excellent questions. Well, they're actually great questions, so there's that. But 
figuring out what your goal weight should be is actually really hard in the society that we live in today because if you look on social media there's a million a lot of them mistakenly call themselves um body positivity influencers and there's a ton of you know plus size beauty and People of color are showing their definitions of beauty, and it's a wonderful thing. And you can get on that. I don't even want to say bandwagon because it's very real, but you can get into that vein of things and start to feel good about where you want to go with your body or where your body's already at. And then as soon as you stop scrolling, you're back in your real life and people have expectations for you. And then you turn on the television and there's 12 different diet advertisements, and it's just really hard to figure out what to do. So, the first thing that we need to take into consideration is weight in general. Weight on an analog scale is a shit measurement for anything. It's your gravitational pull to the earth. It can change between five to seven pounds, depending on what time of day you weigh yourself, whether or not you've had a bowel movement, what part of the month it is if you're female, where you're at in your cycle, how much water you're retaining, whether or not you've gotten enough sleep. All of these things affect the number on the scale, and yet most women I know live and die by that shit. It's a horrible measurement. You might as well be asking a genie in a bottle whether you're a good girl or not that day. Fuck it. So put the scale away. (laughs) A better measurement, body fat percentage, but we also need to take this with a grain of salt because somebody's feel-good body fat percentage could be completely different than somebody else's feel-good body fat percentage. But knowing what yours is can help you understand where you are at for certain risk factors with health and I'm we're talking pretty extreme body fat percentages this is a conversation for you to have with your functional medicine doctor or an open-minded doctor if your doctor talks shit about your weight too constantly and you are in a happy healthy place fire them fire them fire them fire them people get so stuck on well I've been going to this person for years or this person is in my network or yeah maybe I should lose weight or no 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 your doctor works for you if you are afraid to ask your doctor for a blood test because of the way that they speak to you that is not a good doctor for you if all your doctor wants to talk about is how every concern that you come to them with would be alleviated if you just lost weight that is not the doctor for you a doctor that is unwilling to listen and investigate other possibilities is not a good doctor Even if the answer truly, truly, somehow, magically is all that you need to do is lose weight, they should still be ruling out other things. And I know sometimes there's catches with insurance companies and stuff, but their hands are not completely and utterly tied. And if you are worried about even having the conversation with them, fire your doctor. They work for you. Okay, enough of that rant. (laughs) But yeah, body fat percentage can just kind of help you see where you're at risk for with certain things. Again... You need to do the blood tests and all of the different types of testing yourself to see where your metabolic health is, to understand whether you truly are at risk or not. That's a whole other thing. But the way that your clothes fit, how successfully you get up and down stairs. Is there anything that your body can't do that you really want it to be able to do? And the addendum of, if you lost weight, would that remedy the problem? There's certain things that we want our bodies to do that they just simply can't. It's a little ableist to just be like, well, if you just lost weight, your body could do all of the things. Not necessarily. There's different people in different bodies and sometimes weight just won't change a situation. But if there's a very clear line of if I lost weight, I would be able to do this thing that I really, really want to do. Like uh, everyday life, like you get tuckered out after like 10 minutes of playing with your kids, you know, and you understand that your body fat percentage is in a place where this could 
very really significantly improve if I dropped some weight like those kinds of things are good motivations for losing weight if you're getting metabolic and blood works testing back and it is concerning that's a good reason to a improve your freaking overall health but also (laughs) to lose weight if we want to lose weight to get into a bikini that's probably not going to work we have to figure out larger whys larger reasons but that being said, if we've decided that we really do want to lose weight, how do we find the right quote-unquote weight to aim at? I think it's kind of like, <laughs> this is going to sound stupid, it's kind of like dating. You can put down on paper all of the things that you want a dude or a woman to have, all of the characteristics, all of the interests, all of the life beliefs, all of the whatever that you want your perfect person to have. And then you can go out on a date with that person and be like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. And you can fall madly head over heels in love and incredible partnership with someone that was nothing like you anticipated. In fact, I hear that way more than I hear like, yeah, I just conjured up my perfect person and here they are. They were all the things on the list and they're not divorced five years later. Weight and body aesthetic is kind of like that too. So as you're losing weight, you'll hit a point where you will feel good in your body. You might not even be at the weight loss that you anticipated being at because you're prioritizing your health. You are actively eating foods that don't clog your mind. They nourish your body. We will have a food episode. You bet your ass at some point. Today's just not that day. But you will feel good because you're working towards a goal for yourself. You're prioritizing your health. You're making the mindset shifts that you need to to make that successful. And you're just going to start feeling like a boss. And your body is going to settle into a weight that it feels good at. And you're going to be like, oh, I think this is it. I think this is it. I feel good. People around you are going to not only start saying that you look good, which they're just societally programmed to do when we lose weight, but they're also going to notice that you they'll say things like you're glowing or your energy seems completely different or oh my god you seem so much happier we don't need external validation from anybody but those are kind of little signals i think that like oh everybody else sees how amazing i feel now i should i should listen to this okay how much more fat because again we're not focusing on weight how much more fat do i want to lose do i want to start building strength now is there something in my diet that maybe I could tweak to be more healthful that would be less inflammatory or I wouldn't have a reaction to you know like maybe you just love your cream and your coffee but you understand that it makes you gunky as heck and gives you brain fog maybe we finally like kick the cream to the curb you know little tweaks like that that just make you feel incredible the goal should always be feeling incredible whether you feel incredible because you can pick anything out of your size 16 closet and feel like a boss or whether you feel incredible because you can finally get a decent night of sleep for your size four self you know what i mean you see how stupid size sounds in these scenarios of like actual health and happiness because it's not about that you will find a way on your journey to just pursuing your optimum health where you feel really good and you might still be curvy as hell and it will probably be amazing and that just has to be okay fuck what they say we don't want to chase other people's goals oh my god we don't want to chase other people's goals that's how we end up like 40 and homicidal and hating our life and our kids don't recognize us anymore like don't do that please don't do that figure out what your goal is and your goal i think if it's guided by how can i be happier how can i be more joyful how can i be more fulfilled that's never a wrong path to go down in my opinion okay last question and this one is a toughie 
I don't know if this one's going to win me any <laughs> fans, but I just have to be truthful about it in my experience. So last question goes, how do you handle your ex? <laughs> and this, I know who submitted this. Um, they didn't want to shout out for obvious reasons, but it's a mom who is recently divorced and just kind of wanted to get my take on how to handle it. Okay, so first of all, we have to understand that the process of separation and divorce or breakups is not co-parenting supportive. The entire nature of divorce is to split up every last penny, every last minute, every last right, every last asset. And on the other side of that, there can be a ton of contention. I know a lot of women that just sign whatever the first thing on the table is, is so that they can feel like they're out. It's an incredibly difficult time and there's a ton of emotion involved in co-parenting, period. So first of all, acknowledge that. Second of all, when it comes to my ex and the kids, I care if there is something horrible going on with him. But other than that, I've had to remove myself from all of the other stuff going on in his life. Do we talk about what's going on in his life? Some stuff, yeah. Some stuff, no. But... I can't have a horse in the race for anything that he talks about with me or anything going on with him except the stuff that very directly, not indirectly or could possibly, but stuff that actually today or right now affects my children. If you're trying to control or have input on something that could possibly, might someday impact your kids and you haven't been asked for input on that, you're creating dissonance. Every single ounce of effort that you put into the dissonance jar, shall we say, is going to create a shittier and shittier relationship with the person that you're co-parenting with. So the stuff that I'm concerned about is only the stuff that is affecting my kids right now, today, in the present. I perpetually have my eye on the prize. Period. I do not care what people say about me. I do not care whose version of the truth somebody is listening to. I do not care if it looks like I am a doormat or if it looks like I am a bitch or if it looks like... I don't care what it looks like. What do my kids need? Something that has been an issue for my ex and I in the past is food stuff. And it was a bigger problem when we were first separated because everything was far more emotionally charged than it is now. We've been apart for a while a year and a half and so things have calmed down significantly so we can actually have conversation about this now but that's in part because of all the time I put in not putting any <laughs> change in the dissonance jar that didn't need to be there so way back when nutrition was an issue I obviously work for a nutrition company and my ex does not care about that so we would argue about what the kids could and couldn't have I knew if I questioned a food choice my kids were only going to get more of that food choice. So I kept my mouth shut. I let them be cuckoo bananas at their dad's house because of all the sugar they were getting. And then I fed them immaculately when they were at my house. And then when there were behavioral issues, when there were sleep issues, and my ex would come to me like, do you have any idea what's going on with these kids? They're not sleeping over here. That was my opportunity to be like, well, you know, um, it's your house and it's your decision, but there's as much sugar in a can of ginger ale as there is in a Snickers. And kids with special needs have really a lot stronger responses to ingredients and things than neurotypical kids can have. And that's my time to share. 
not unsolicited advice, not drawing a line in the sand, not trying to control or throwing my weight around as mom. Do I have an amount of authority and influence as their mother? 100% in my house. In my house. The best thing that I can do is make sure that the relationship between me and my ex is as calm as possible. The less I am instigating him, the less I am taking the bait back in the day. We're not in this place anymore. Arguing and hurt and all of the things. The faster we got to this point and the easier life is for my kids. So I very much pick my battles. I don't care about the means. I care about the end result when it comes to my kids. I don't give a shit on how we get there. <laughs> to the point of where there have been times where I've just like made lunches for the kids for the week and dropped them off at my ex's house. I don't care. The bigger problem is what I need my kids to eat. I don't need to tout what I'm doing versus what he's doing versus what's right, what's 50-50, what's... No, 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 no. The end result is what I focus on. And that's not everybody's cup of tea, but I need my kids to be raised and to grow with as much love and consistency as possible. Another thing that I do is I write everything down. And this is just good in general, but I write everything down as kind of a last resort if there's any kind of misunderstanding about kids' appointments or who took who where or what was done when. It could be easily forgotten who's done what or where. So I keep a calendar of when the kids stayed where, who I took to appointments. It's not super involved. It's just enough detail to map out what a day looked like. So it can also make you feel protected if you're feeling powerless to have everything written down. It just feels like my backup plan and there's nothing wrong with having a backup plan. Another thing that I want to point out is I've said this before and like technically co-parenting is the relationship between you and someone that you are no longer with that you parent a shared child with. But we're all co-parenting with our partners, whether we're with them or not. They have ideas about parenting. We have ideas about parenting. They have ideas about how kids should be raised. We have ideas about how kids should be raised. If I had a dollar for every way that we thought we were going to raise these kids that just did not happen once they were earthside, I would be a rich woman. And I think that happens in households even when the couple stays together and everybody thinks they're on the same page. We thought we were on the same page and then the kids actually got here. We're like, oh wait, this is different because no, there's, there's zero amount of preparation that can prepare you for what it's like to actually raise tiny humans. So a lot of the tactics and stuff that I'm talking about here actually work for just parenting with another adult. Pick your battles. You can't be in control all the time. You certainly can't be in control of stuff that happens when you're not around and you're not going to want to be because that builds resentment. Yep, we can't do blah, 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 because mom said we can't. Like, awesome. Fantastic. (laughs) That's only like a dollar in the dissonance jar. You see what I'm saying? What I will say is that me doing extra anything or me not getting my expectations met would be bad if my ex and I were still together, but we're not. So the stuff that I'm doing that really just ends up being beneficial to the kids, I'm not as resentful about because it's already been both legally and personally established that this other adult is not responsible for my feelings anymore. Is it awesome when the stars align and my feelings are taken into consideration and the kids are doing great and everybody's getting along fantastically? Yes, I love it. It's the best. But I can't bully my way into it. I can't control my way into it. I have to 
just be still, just take care of my business, and hope that that relationship happens, and if it doesn't, not be attached to it. Another way to throw a whole lot of coins into the dissonance jar is being a hot mess express online. Keep your shit your shit. If other people are talking about your situation, that's that's their character flaw. But if you're posting a bunch of crap online, or even if you're like, well, it's just alluded to, it's not about... Stop. Stop. That's what teenagers do. Don't, don't be hot mess express on the internet. It doesn't look good in court, and it doesn't serve any of your relationships. Your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your co-parent. Keep it to yourself. If your co-parent just can't let go of this horribly negative narrative of how y'all split up or they can't keep their crap together online again that's their issue we don't care what betty down the street has to say we care about what happens to our kids if betty down the street chooses to talk to my children about what is going on in my personal life betty and i will have words but until that happens i don't care what she thinks and i can't i cannot afford the bandwidth of what anybody else thinks about what i'm doing is my ex not drowning yep okay are my kids thriving yep Okay, everybody's all set. On to the next thing that's about me. Because when I'm thriving, my kids thrive. I hope that that was helpful. There's a lot of, you have to get kind of into the nitty gritty logistics of situations, I think, to give better advice on that one. But that's just my overall. Your pride needs to go away. The history of the relationship needs to be put out of mind. Unless it's a danger to your children, like truly a danger to your children. Other than that, you have to let it all go. Go to the therapy, do the yoga classes, get really healthy, lose the weight, start the business, do whatever you have to do to channel that energy, but you gotta let that shit go or your kids will be seeped in it. Because if you can't let it go, it's gonna leak into everything that you do. So figure out a way to do that. It doesn't have to happen right this second. It can be a slow process. Mine was. But you just have to figure out how to have it happen. Because you don't want to be someone who's been divorced for 40 years and is still bitter as hell. You don't deserve that. And neither do your kids. Okay, that's my ramble about that. I hope you guys like this episode. If you feel so inclined, please rate and review and share this podcast. So until next Friday, have a wonderful week. I see you, I love you, and I can't wait to talk to you again next week. Mm